Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021 election day in uh, Virginia and where I'm from, this good old state of New Jersey, but we're not gonna talk about politics while we may get into a little little politics when we talk about climate change in a a few moments. But anyway, uh, joining me for today's podcast is my, we're missing one of my uh, trio of stalwart tech journalists, like the way I I like to describe them, but we've got uh, John Quain who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities and Tom's Guide, and Stuart Walpin who scribes for Twice and Laptop Magazine, and Rob Pegarero is on vacation. No, he's not on vacation. I can't say that. <laughs> He'd like to be on vacation, but he's uh, he's on an assignment in Europe and uh, spoke to him early in the week. He, he was excited to get on a long-distance trip wearing a mask, so that should be a lot of fun. He writes for um, uh, for USA Today, The Verge, and Wirecutter. But guys, welcome to the podcast. What else is new with you today before we begin? Come on. Turned off off the news. That's what's news. Uh, (laughs) It's still, we're getting a little bit more fall in Vermont. That's what's news. The leaves have hung on for just a few more days before winter comes. Uh, Let me ask you a question, John. Do they run around in Vermont saying, you know, autumn in Vermont? Is that the, like, is that the national song or the uh, state song? Of, uh, uh, no, they, they run around grinning with chainsaws, getting ready for uh, getting ready for winter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I thought it was going to be actually a relatively boring week, uh, a boring podcast, but actually a couple things have happened that I think deserve um, a little bit of discussion. So let me bring up our topics here. Uh, first one, got to chat about this one, and I cannot wait to start on this one. I just yeah. wrote I just wrote a column on this in, in Forbes a few days ago. Uh, but Facebook uh, rebrands itself as Meta, M-E-T-A. And uh, what I thought was interesting, I, I don't know if you guys saw the story, but apparently there's a company, a technology company, that does have the uh, rights to the, to the um, name Meta. And apparently they're, they're, they're willing to, se- to sell the rights to the name to Facebook for only $20 million, which surprises me because that's relatively inexpensive. You, think, you, you would think they would have asked for more money. The twenty million, but um, let me uh, let me get uh, Stuart's reaction first because I can only imagine what you've got uh, in the wheelhouse stored up on this one, uh, Stuart. But what do you think about for a tech company only wanting twenty million dollars? I mean, that just proves how not greedy our industry is, um, <laughs> or, or stupid, we're so, we're so egalitarian. So uh, you know. Uh, um, well, obviously, this is what the path that Google took, you know, and they renamed themselves Alphabet. And I don't think that anybody calls Google Alphabet except the people who work at Alphabet. So right. that, that's the first thing. The second thing is is less what the the name the name change itself, but what the name portends. And some of the video that um, Mr. Zuckerberg released showing the metaverse that he's thinking of was so devoid of humanity is to is to leave the whole concept of the future that he's plotting to be really frightening as far as i'm concerned i mean having followed virtual reality for a little bit and seeing the lack of real consumer uptake of it 
one of the things that I think would be a killer app is something that he doesn't talk about, which is essentially virtual presence, being able to be places where otherwise you would not be able to be there, doing a little stuff with, you know, attending NBA games and things like that. But I'm him merely presenting the technological aspects of it, as opposed to the real world functionality, I think is is going is just going to make his non-human robotic creepiness facade even more so uh, by dubbing the company something that portends something really spooky. Well, you know, I do agree with the comment you made that if you look at the videos they released, they're very aesthetically, they're, they're very clean, stark. It's almost kind of a, um, it's a, a vision. It's almost like a Logan's run, if you remember that movie. <laughs> I do. View of, the, of what the future might be. And I wasn't terribly f- fond of the future that was portrayed in Logan's Run, but that's that's a completely different discussion. But the, um, you know, I wonder, and John, this is a question for you. It was, you know, if you read a lot of the press, I mean, you know, I, as I mentioned in my my Forbes piece, you know, in many ways, the company, the people who like to go after Facebook, or you know, it's the company people love to hate. You know, they, they and God knows they've done enough things to inspire <laughs> that kind of uh, dislike for just some of the ham-fisted ways they've handled the various controversies they've kind of found themselves in the last few years. But you think this was done as a distraction in part, the rebranding piece? I mean, we can, well, I want to talk about the, the substance, which is what Stuart is talking about, this whole movement toward the metaverse. But do you think part of this from a rebranding standpoint was a distraction to kind of walk away from their baggage associated with the Facebook brand? I mean, some of it is, uh, you know, look, this is uh, for such a big company. It was based on such trivial ideas, right? Like who's likable in college? That's the the, fa- the Facebook idea, right? That's that, that's basically it, and and it hasn't really gone, you know, terribly farther afield. And it's also the facial recognition story, which I'm sure you'll, yeah, um, you know, they have this facial recognition technology like everybody else does. There wasn't anything particularly good about it. It had me any guy with a ponytail. I ended up being tagged in photographs all the time. So it wasn't wasn't that effective. But they just decided that they were going to um, stop using it and um, basically delete that feature. They didn't promise not to use the feature in the future. But for the moment, they're going to do that. So getting away from that face, you know, the sort of trivial nature of it is probably a good idea. But Man, is have all these guys read the same science fiction novel? Like this whole snow crash, metaverse, cyberpunk thing. It's like we've tried this. That was Second Life. Hello, people aren't on Second Life. You know, I don't, I don't see where this has really got a future. Well, but, but well, you know, but let me just say, say something. Is that you know, if you look at Facebook and you look at the original original design of Facebook, it really hasn't changed a whole lot, right? It's very much a text-based. Yeah, they've not got images and video, and they dressed it up, but it's still the, 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 that same old interface that they've had for years, which is one of the reasons why it appeals to the older generation and older users because it, it, it hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, but, but 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 the cynical part of me says, you know, they're lo- they're losing youthful users. It, when I say youthful users, very young users. Those are users that, you know, their attention spans for, you know, 15 seconds. They're the TikTok, um, you know, Snapchat uh, type of folks. And those users, I think, when they look at Facebook, it's, you know, Facebook, that's like a Xerox machine in our generation. You know, they, right. they see it as older technology. And 
Now, that's, that's one side of the dis- uh, argument for me. The other side is that they've got to do something to keep people interested. And, and, and moving toward a metaverse type of environment, um, you know, I think actually, believe it or not, makes sense from a strategic standpoint. What scares me is that some of the issues that have haunted them, you know, the privacy stuff, content creation, uh, suppression, and, you know, the, the list goes on and on. The facial recognition thing, which I thought was interesting that they announced that today, you know, right. several, several days after they made the rebranding announcement. Call me crazy, but I wonder if that's an interesting sequence of events. But I, I guess the question really is, is that when you look at it from a, um, uh, from a, a cynical standpoint, what makes us think that this bad behavior is not going to exist when they move to a meta- metaverse type of orientation for the platform? I mean, well, I mean, this is going to re- relate to the fourth topic that we have today. And I think all three topics relate to the fourth topic that we have today. But obviously, it, it trust is is the biggest issue. And I think the major problem with the name is its technical nature. I mentioned before that one of the quote unquote killer ops of VR would be virtual presence. And I think the mistake that that Facebook is making here, and it's the same mistake that technology companies have been making making for the last 150 years, is they're doing something because they can, not necessarily because they should. And that's reflected in the name. The name that they have chosen is a pure technical name that has no humanity in it. It doesn't reflect what you can do with the technology or why consumers or human beings might want to use it instead they're focusing on what can be done that nobody wants to do as john said second life um the uptake the uptake of oculus and other vr is not that exciting so i think that the approach they're taking which is this very pure look what we can do approach is the exact opposite of the approach that they should be taking if they want to appear more human and more understanding of how people want to use technology john what's your reaction to that do you agree yeah, I mean, I, I I do agree too, but I also, you know, you're right in in terms of it is this kind of antediluvian old folks place online, and uh, they've been struggling with that, and you know, doing it via acquisitions in the past, trying to keep that younger audience, um, and that's the only way they've been able to do it. But it's hard to envision, you know, uh, if people are sick of Zoom. Now, after, you know, almost closing on two years of it, I think they're going to be pretty sick of metaverse. Uh, (laughs) It's probably not going to be a thing. Um, Now, you know, obviously, you know, we've tried many attempts to make movies completely immersive and three dimensional and all of that and tried to make them virtual uh, events at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't know if you guys remember, but there were a number of press events that were virtual events with, with with VR and they shipped us all the glasses and everybody, yeah, you know, it was okay, but it, it was no substitute. And it's certainly, the other thing to, to your point, Mark, is the speed, the rapidity with which people want to consume this kind of social media. They're not going to take the time to go into a virtual reality universe I mean, that's why TikTok is so good, right? It happens and it's over. It happens and it's over. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's a strange move. Yeah, I, you know, we probably should do a, a, a topic in, the fu- in a future podcast just around AR and VR in general because, you know, the, um, you know, my viewpoint is that 
the reason why smartphones have become so incredibly successful is that good or bad, because there's, there's good and there's bad with that, with, with the phenomenon we find ourselves in, is that your smartphone, the smartphone has conditioned us. We're always within inches of our smartphone. People sleep with their phone, smartphones, always attached to their body. And that's both good and bad. For AR and VR to be truly realized, you have to have some type of headgear device on, whether it's glasses, whether it's you know goggles like, like the the Oculus stuff, and I just don't see that happening. Regardless of the price, I mean, I think for certain applications, you know, training, education, uh, there's some medical applications, operations applications. I think that might be interesting, but I just don't know. You know, because uh, Facebook is so ubiquitous and, and, and it has such a, a big, big footprint. And, and all it requires, by the way, is a, a display or a, smart, a, a smartphone, a tablet or a um, or a PC. And, you know, you and you can participate in it and, and have a, a, a good experience. But I, I just don't know how this is going to get executed. I, I, I can only imagine the concepts that, that are bouncing around right now in Menlo Park. <laughs> You know, I, there's probably some really intriguing things about that. But let's get on to the next topic here because yeah. I, I do want to get on to that. And that is, and, and this is a great topic. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit about this before, but um, this is your topic, Stuart. You know, the major streaming services have kind of, you know, when you think about it, they've emulated a television format that has been around for 50 or 60 years. And that is this whole notion of, in an episodic series, re re releasing an episode every week. Now, that's not always true on Netflix, of course. Uh, not all their series, but oh, many of their series, they, they'll, 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 they'll dump the entire season. But let me tee this up for you, because obviously this is a topic that, that's close to your heart, and I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, this is, I mean, just personally, and I, I also just wrote a column on this. It hasn't posted yet, though, on um, the Digital Riff or Digital Tech Consulting um, commercial message. Um, the, the problem that I have personally is that I have, because of Netflix and because of Amazon Prime, I've gotten used to sitting up and for four or five or six or seven or eight hours and binging something. And so now I'm not watching any series that's on either a streaming service or mainstream um, cable until I've got all the episodes. So I haven't seen any Succession yet. I haven't seen Amer American Rust yet. I haven't seen Made yet because I want to wait for all the episodes to be available so I can stream them all at one time. And the major point that I think that I wanted to make was that the streaming services are ignoring the one aspect that makes them different from both movies, remember the old movie serials back in the 30s and 40s, come back next week for the cliffhanger, as well as television is, that you don't have to make people wait. And the more people get used to getting all their series, all their episodes at once and streaming them all at once, they're going to start getting really pissed off at the people like Apple TV and Hulu who are making them wait once a week. The other aspect of this is, is that the streaming services, streaming TV, allows content creators to create these really long, complicated storylines and plot lines and character development, and then the, then the streaming services chop them up into little bits. Now, most of us, because there's so much good stuff on TV now, are being forced to keep track of a half a dozen different series at the same time, which, right. is, of course, have given rise to a lot of the online recap 
things that you have now so we can keep up with all of these instead of just and the analogy i make is imagine being in school and being assigned moby dick and time life in the time love in the time of cholera and ulysses and chernow's biography of hamilton and and um, the great Gatsby and being told that you have to read all of them at the same time, but only one chapter a week until we test them on it. Right. That's an absurdity. And yet that's exactly what the streaming television services are forcing us to do, to consume their content in these bits and pieces all at the same time. No, and, and, and I, I want to jump in there for a second before I get John's view on this. I, I, I violently agree with that because the, the creative uh, content element of that advantage is is magnificent and what i mean by that if you recall there was a show years and years ago it was one of the, one of the better medical series of all time and it broke a lot of um um a lot of the rules it was a show called saint elsewhere during the early mm-hmm. 80s very well written very well acted denzel washington came out of it i encourage everybody. i think it's on hulu by the way you can watch it in the series and what was great about it is that even though the episodes were every week and the show was on for five or six seasons there were times when they brought characters back from the first season that unless you had watched the entire series before, yeah, they would do the flashback thing in the, in the beginning of an episode to tie that old character back to, a, uh, back to the plot. It, you know, if you didn't watch the entire series, you didn't get an appreciation for it. And to me, the magnificent thing about you know, what um, the streaming service has done when, they can, when you can watch all that content and a binge type of sequence is you can go into levels of detail that you can never get into with a two-hour movie. I mean, let's face it, you know, many, many movies that are based on books, the, 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 the guy who writes the, the guy or get woman uh, who writes the screenplay has to make certain concessions because it's impossible in many times to portray. That was Bonfire of the Vanities was what that was true of. That was a wonderful book, but a lot of, um, a lot of concessions were made when they made they wrote the screenplay, and if you had done Bonfire of the Vanities in a you know eight or nine episode type of format, you could get into levels of detail from a character ve- development standpoint that you could never do in either a two hour movie or even over a even over a season because people wouldn't be able to retri- uh, wouldn't be able to retrieve all the um, uh, the older characters from uh, from earlier episodes. So I, I agree with you, Stuart. I think this is a magnificent advantage that the Hulus and Netflixes and the streaming services have. And for the life of me, I, I, I don't know why Apple does it. I mean, I, I started the watch. That baffles me. There's the company that's supposed to be thinking differently and they're right. thinking the same. And yeah. they're not even, there, even, there even tiny bits advantage of the fact that we're talking about an interactive format. These are, they're telling linear stories in a legacy linear format. And it just baffles me that well, nobody there has to be a okay, so they, they do have a reason yes they, they do have and it's a pretty significant reason for doing this and that is um engagement right yeah. and and they want that appointment viewing and engagement so if you watch the viewing habits now of people who are following some of those series um they have to see it when it comes out on tuesday night because i was watching the steve martin you know um uh, one with Martin Short and the murders, the only murders in the building, right? That you had to watch it Tuesday night because if you don't watch it Tuesday night when it when it releases, all your friends are going to be chatting about it online and all the social media is going to be full of it and you're going to, spoiler, blow the whole season. So it forces those people to tune in 
to see each of them every week, which is exactly what they want, right? That, that's the perfect. And they also don't want the churn they've been getting. They want you to sign up for Apple TV and stay with Apple TV and not dump your subscription, you know, a month later or a week later when you've done watching the only show that you actually wanted to bother watching on Apple TV. So they have some really, you know, they look at the numbers and this is a great idea for them to keep people engaged and keep them coming back and paying for the service. So, uh, you know, and, and that's given, like I used to write, not write them, but I used to edit soap opera updates back in the day, which were all about telling you what happened on the soap opera because you couldn't keep track of those daily shows. So I get you in like being frustrated, like, what did they do last week? You know, but John, I, I'm shocked that you admitted that. I am shocked. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, mean, I could talk about this topic forever because it's such an interesting combination of technology and the creative angle. And of course, there's the business angle that you're speaking to, right. John. And I agree. I mean, they obviously want people to come back every week. They're, they, they, I, they probably believe they can drive traffic. They can get people to w watch other content that may not normally watch. But I mean, but the right. Apple one absolutely um, confuses me because, uh, you know, I started to watch that Invasion series. They have a, a new sci-fi series called Invasion, which I didn't, I don't particularly like, by the way. I, I made it past the first uh, two episodes. I'm like, eh, you know, <laughs> this has been done better before. But nevertheless, I mean, in the, in the, uh, if it was an entire uh, dump of the entire season, I would probably force myself to watch three or four episodes to give it a chance, you know? Because I've just been disappointed with the first two episodes, I'm probably not going to watch episodes three or four or, or, or more. So that's the downside of that model. Let us hit the next topic here. And right. that is, and John, you brought this up. Um, I, I think we want to talk about, to the audience a little bit about what a compiler is because that kind of shows you how old you are, that you actually <laughs> phrase the, use the word compiler. But for the audience, before you get into the security issues, Let's talk about what a compiler does, you know, and for those people who are not programmers. Go ahead, John. I'm always going to give that, give that to you. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, basically, all the programs today are written in C++ or Python or, or some other language that, you know, actual programmer will use. But once you've done that and written the program in that, written it, it's so much easier. Now you can move modules around and piece things together. Once you've done all that, though, it has to still get converted into binary code, you know, the ones and zeros that the computer is actually going to run. And compilers are the, the step in the process where it recognizes C++ or it recognizes Python and it compiles it into binary code really rapidly so that it can run on a computer. That turns out to be a major weak point, the sort of Achilles heel of a lot of systems. And that's what researchers have pointed out. Now, now, John, are, the, the, the research work that you're, you're referring to, is that saying that if there is bad code in the, in the code, that will get compiled and those algorithms, those nasty little gremlins that could potentially do harmful things, that actually will get embedded into the, into the compiled code? Is that what the, uh, the thought process is? John? The thought, for the thought process is you could hijack that program as it's being compiled, that the compilers don't have an extra step of security that they should have. Right. That's the issue. That is, that's very, very scary when you consider that the, the, the amount of code out there that, you know, 99% of the applications that people play with every day is all compiled code. 
that's pretty that's pretty crazy so right well one of the one of the most um, the biggest compiling weak uh, compiler weak points is everyday web browsing because almost every web browser uses javascript and javascript is essentially a real-time compiler and it does a whole lot of things that you want to have happen to make your web pages look good, but it is a compiler that apparently something that can be hijacked by hiding malicious code um, in, in the original code that JavaScript will compile and put on your screen. And most browsers allow, in fact, I think all browsers allow you to turn JavaScript off if you go to the security settings in any browser. And I understand, I think for the last couple of days, there's been some news that Microsoft is trying to produce a JavaScript-less version of Edge, which will remove at least that one vulnerability in web browsers. Now, of course, the solutions are human eyes someplace to make sure that the code isn't being messed with inverting characters or or something there's something about left to right and right to left in arabic versus english and I'm, i've been trying to read up on this for this but um apparently that there is and the other and the other um the other point is that a vpn can help ward off some of the ill effects of javascript but compilers are everywhere and the link, the the uh, the chain is only as strong as its weakest link, and a lot of people are poo pooing that this is news. Apparently, this has been around forever. That's why you have, you know, malware called Trojan horses. This is exactly what a Trojan horse is, and Trojan horses that hijack original code have been around for as long as coding has been around. John, before we move on to the next topic, do you think right. this issue has gotten the level of awareness? Because I, this is news to me. It, it it's interesting because the the people it's from the Cambridge University researchers, which is where that first coffee pot was ever online. If you were ever into the 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 coffee pot, the first like webcam ever. Um, anyway, it's from those those people, uh, and uh, it is it's an issue that people had hinted at before. Um, I think the what's new here is that they've shown how easy it is to do it, and. And um, it is getting a reaction from a response from some companies. It is fixable. It's not something that's not fixable. It is fixable. Um, Java, you know, and the trouble with Flash and Java is that they're not fixable. To make them secure, you know, in, in terms of programming, um, was just about impossible. It was just and to keep things running. So that's why people have been dropping that left, right, and center and saying, you know, eventually no more JavaScript because it was just used by hackers so much. It was yeah. too, un too unwieldy. Well, the, 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 I hope the industry gets their hands around this because this potentially is a very, very big issue, but I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that the industry is finally getting a bit of focus on this. Uh, let's talk about the last topic that I want to uh, tee up here. And um, you know, it's topical because our illustrious president, President Biden, is over in Europe right now. Uh, he was, in, I think he was in Glasgow this morning, talking about the, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, well, he was talking about partly about the Green New Deal and not to get into the whole the political argument uh, on either side. And I was amazed to find that he only, he only fell asleep once during the meeting. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine he's resting that? his eyes, Mark? When he's at the podium, when he's at the podium, he's resting his eyes all the time, and that scares me as well. But anyway, without getting into a, 
a Joe Biden, um, you know, kick fest. Uh, obviously, you know, there's some interesting issues. There is an intersection here between technology and and uh, conservation and 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 the ability to, to save the planet. But let's. I want to get your perspective, Stuart, on it because you're you're a fair balanced person, even though you do like the Nets. You know. Um, <laughs> You know, what, what's your take on it? In, ter- in terms of the, uh, I'm sure there's an altruistic point of view that you have, and there's probably also a, a cynical part. Well, part of most of my point of view is cynical. I am a technology historian. I've written a great deal on the history of technology. And I always flash back, and this is going to sound a little off the wall, to the movie or the play Inherit the Wind. Oh, wow. And in Inherit the Wind, there's a scene um, where the Clarence Darrow character, which in the movie is played by Spencer Tracy, talks about that talking about how evolution should be taught in schools and that progress is not a bargain. And I'm paraphrasing. He says that basically he thinks there's somebody somewhere at a counter saying, yes, you may have the telephone, but you will lose the charm of distance. Sir, you may conquer the air, but the clouds will smell of gasoline and the birds will lose their wonder. And the point is that there's always a give and take with technology. And ever since the Industrial Revolution, we have been living with the consequences of two steps forward, one step backward. And where climate is concerned, it's just looking at all of the varying solutions other than wind and maybe to a lesser extent solar, and maybe even solar, you're... It, the amount of energy it takes to produce these renewable things seem to be almost as much energy or carbon producing as what they're replacing. And so it's very difficult to figure out how to solve this problem if you're creating more problems while you're doing it. I don't know what the answer is. And as somebody who's been writing about technology, one would hope to be optimistic that this is merely technology and that the problems can be solved. But for instance, the mining of lithium is getting to be a problem. It's not exactly uh, plentiful. And a lot of places where it's available, you have to ruin ecological um, uh areas you know so i mean almost every solution we seem to have to replace fossil fuels seems to introduce another ecological problem and and the point you're making of course goes very much to um electric cars electric cars use use enormous batteries these are not not batteries that are used and by the way there's also geopolitical issues in that most of the, the battery material that is used to manufacture these batteries don't come from doesn't come from the united states it's right. outside the united states so there's there's obviously um there's geopolitical issues. issues yes I'll, I'll say it that way um john your thoughts on this john well i mean it it uh yes yeah so electric cars are still more efficient on every study you know and and every breakdown and every which way you look at it way more than uh, uh gas combustion engines vehicles and you know to wind and solar too they are they are solutions they don't actually eat more resources mining is definitely an issue because if you're worried about the environment there's a lot of strip mining and things that go on to produce these but uh you know it's it's about we should be doing something about it. And I think there are solutions out there that, that do work toward it. Um, and it's amazingly actually how quickly you can turn a company around and make it like a zero footprint company. You know, if Suntory can do it in a few months, I think, you know, and Subaru can do it, not too difficult for other people to do it as well. Um, 
And what I realized about Bitcoin though was, you know, this mining for Bitcoin was eating, up, is eating up a tremendous amount of electricity. You know, for what? It was supposed to be this great idea and, and all it's doing is hurting sustainability rather than helping anything. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the oddest sort of weird ramifications of things like that. Whereas do we really need to data mine like bit for Bitcoin? Probably not. Uh, so and and companies got to think about remote work. You know, now we've been doing this for a long time. Do we really need everybody back driving to work? I mean, traffic in New York is horrendous. It's worse than it was before the pandemic. Uh, so maybe we don't need that. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It is because people don't want to take public transportation. So they're driving into the city. So, you know, I have to go back and forth a couple of times a week. It's a nightmare. The only time you can actually get into New York City is like if you drive in the middle of the night. Every every other time is, is terrible. So, yeah, we, we've got some work cut out for us here. You know, you know, and I'll just comment on that one thing. When I was back in um, New Jersey, probably about two months ago, I went to see a Yankee game, and I was in Jersey at my family's home. And I think the George Washington Bridge is now, isn't it fourteen dollars or some crazy? What's the fair? Eighteen. Is it eighteen? It's more 18? than that. Yeah. I I, 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 I remember when a round trip, you know, and it was round trip because you only pay one way, and you can, it's free on the way back. Right. Free. It, you only pay one time. It was like two dollars or three dollars. I can't, that I don't know how you make that math work if you try to commute to New York every day. A hundred dollars in tolls? I mean, a week? That's crazy. But well, last a couple of weekends ago, my wife and I took our first walk across the George Washington Bridge. So that's certainly one way of avoiding the fare. I'm surprised the didn't try to hit you up for a few bucks just to walk across the bridge. Before we uh, we end the podcast, I do want to get it's kind of orthogonal to this. But I, I don't know if you guys saw it this morning, but, uh, you know, there was some, fan, uh, some um, you know, uh, Hertz announced that they had, I think they were going to buy 50,000 or 100,000 um, uh, uh, electric cars from Tesla. 100,000, yeah. 100,000. 100, and then Elon Musk this morning announced, well, we really haven't signed the paperwork. Where's the money? <laughs> well, because Hertz is in a little bit of trouble. But, 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 here, but here's the thing. You know, this has happened before with Tesla, where, where where Musk will say something. You would think the SEC would have an opinion on this because that affects stock prices. You know, when when a company makes an announcement like that, that's a material announcement. Oh, a hundred thousand cars, and then he, he made the point this morning. I, I guess well, well, if we sell them the cars, it's not going to affect our margins. We're going to sell them at the um, at the standard price that we typically sell, which I'm sure um, Hertz loves that because you would think they'd want a deal if they were were going to buy a hundred thousand cars, but. Stuart, how do you think, how does Elon Musk get away with that? I mean, I, I just, or I, I just, it's bizarre to me that something like that could get announced in such a kind of a disconnected way. I don't know why this is a surprise. You've never heard of John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carr. I mean, this sort of manipulation of stocks is why the SEC was created to begin with. And that didn't happen until 50 years after Rockefeller founded Standard Oil. So, I mean, the idea that these titans try to manipulate stock as, as much as they can, given the, the legal restrictions, it is not fake news. It's just really, really old news. Um, I, I, I love the, the, the story. I don't know love is the right word. You'll excuse that expression. But when they broke <laughs> up Standard Oil in 1911, John D. Rockefeller was over the moon because instead of owning one company, he now owned 11. 
or 12 or whatever the number of, of, of baby subs that there were. And, and each one of them had their own stock prices. So the fact that, that, that these robber barons manipulate the news to help their stock prices is uh, really, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I've worked for companies, very, very big successful companies where this kind of behavior would never happen. It just wouldn't. Right. Much well, more- and we we, have, right. we are in a new age of robber barons, I think. Um, ever since, you know, as the as the income equality uh, has has division has widened, you're, you have a lot more. What is it now? I think there are 700 billionaires. I think that was part of the um, the bill, but the reconciliation package that Biden was talking about, that they want to do a billionaire stack and that it would only affect 700 people. There used to be maybe 700 millionaires in the country. Now there's 700 billionaires. So, I mean, I, we are in this age of robber barons. They all made a lot more money during the pandemic. This is, this is you know, we're in a new robber baron age. And again, as, well, as, as the legal system is ought to do, just can't keep up with it. Well, one, one of that yeah. 700 is, is John Quain. Because she, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I wish. I I'm, wish. I'm, I'm always always appreciative, John, when you take the time to do my podcast. That's really right. Good right. I mean, the Elon is definitely an outlier. I mean, there's no question he's an outlier. Um, that whole comment too about, oh yeah, you want six billion dollars to solve world hunger? I'll give you six billion dollars. Um, you know, how stoned was he when he said that? I don't know, but. Um, you know, th- this issue with Hertz, too, Hertz is now run by, you know, one of these, uh, a guy I like, I, I liked his management style, Mark, he's from uh, Ford, he-, he ran Ford before. And so he's, he got turfed out of Ford because, uh, you know, they didn't like his vision. So now he's at Hertz. Um, I think they will turn it around. I don't know what the deal is and the pricing. Uh, that's going to be questionable. Yeah, I don't, I don't know really where this ends, but I, I just, it just seems every time there's, there's a miscommunication, and I'm putting that in air quotes, you know, <laughs> you can see that on the camera. I, it just seems it's just odd to me that, that and then you, you don't see the SEC acting, you know, that, oh, by the way, you know, there should be something, because they, you know, the SEC does have penalties in place where companies can get penalized. Now, the problem is, is that, you know, Tesla is so big that unless the, the, uh, the penalty is enormous. Right. Pay the, the $2. Dollars. Pay the two dollars and goes away exactly. But guys, listen. Thank you for doing today's podcast. I do really appreciate it, uh, John and Stuart. Uh, for our viewing and listening audience, please make sure that you hit the like Absolutely. and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. Don't uh, don't uh, forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.